A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome, finally, to Season 5 of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. With me, Caroline Foran. You will know me as, obviously, the host of this podcast and the author of Owning It, or Own It if you're in the US or Canada, The Confidence Kit, which is my second book, or again, in the US, that was called You Got This. Um, And my third book, which is just out now, is called Naked 10 Truths to Change Your Life. I am so excited it's finally out. It was massively delayed with the pandemic, and... We thought maybe by now bookstores would be back open, life would have resumed to normal. That hasn't happened, but nevertheless, we've put the book out there because I think even given the year we've all just had with the pandemic, it's actually more relevant now than it would have been. And obviously I wrote it completely unaware that we were about to enter into a pandemic. I wrote it even before I was pregnant. Um, but now now that I'm a mother and I've been through pregnancy and I've you know we're all trying to cope through this pandemic, I'm finding myself going back to this book again with kind of a fresh perspective and finding it just so useful and so easy to apply to lots of different areas of my life. Um, So with all the books I write and with the same with the podcast, whenever I I put my mind to anything like this or I try to share something, it's not a case of me having it all figured out and then sharing it with, with you guys. I'm figuring it out alongside you. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I'm trying to understand my anxiety. I'm trying to understand fears and worries and you know, different mindsets and behaviours and thought patterns that I have, and I'm sure we all have from time to time, that don't serve us very well and can lead to things like anxiety or stress. Um, So with this book, I wanted to explore different, I suppose, issues or roadblocks I have come up against myself when it comes to thoughts, thought processes, patterns, uh, feelings and behaviours, things that have kind of held me back in some way, and look at how I might work around them. So why is it? I'm always interested. Why is it? Why do we think and feel the way that we do? What what is it that makes our mind perform in this way, especially when it can be so um, counterproductive and make us feel crap? So that's kind of always what drives me, I suppose. And with this book, I wanted to look at those various things and 
not only ask the question like of why is this something that I'm dealing with for example people pleasing or jealousy or envy all very normal common everyday things that we feel um why is it that I feel this way why does this feeling make me you know not feel so good and what might I do to work around it and make you know my life a little bit easier bring down my anxiety a little bit further reduce stress and just kind of contribute towards a calmer life and so that was kind of the driving force of this book. The theme of the whole book is called, well, it's 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 obviously called Naked, but the theme is vulnerability. And that's, I suppose, where the name comes from. It's about just really peeling back the layers and getting your kit off, so to speak, in a way that allows you to be your most authentic self. And for me, vulnerability is something I've talked about so much throughout this podcast already. It's something that I'm only getting going on uh, and I I'm, will I'm, definitely delve into it in future episodes. But really for me, my life changed massively when I was willing to embrace my vulnerability way back when, when my anxiety was so crippling. It really wasn't until I was willing to say, do you know what? I'm a sensitive person. I'm prone to anxiety. I don't feel great. And I struggle sometimes. And really when I started to own that, that's when things turned around for me. And that's the message I'm always trying to drive home with this podcast that you know you can apply loads of different things you can try this or try that until you accept it and not just accept it but kind of lean into it and embrace your vulnerability only then I think will you start to really get on top of your anxiety so just to kick off this season um I wanted to share one chapter of the book with you just to give you a taste of it and also because I think it makes for really good listening material anyway I will be recording an audiobook but I haven't had a moment yet because we're in a pandemic and I've got a tiny baby and I cannot get even like help getting him minded. So I'm just grabbing 20 minutes, 30 minutes here and there to get work bits done when I can. Um, so yes, this this chapter is, it's truth number five. And these truths are sometimes uncomfortable. They're not always easy pills to swallow. They're things that in order to embrace themselves require vulnerability because we have to look in the mirror at ourselves. Um, and this one is really about vulnerability itself. So Truth number five is a willingness to be vulnerable makes you invulnerable. Understanding the vulnerability paradox. So that's something I wanted to call it because for me, in a nutshell, when you're willing to be vulnerable and put it out there, you achieve the thing that you wanted most and you think vulnerability will lead you the opposite way. Well, actually, it will make you invulnerable. So here we go. I'm going to give you a little taster of this chapter. Finally, a chapter dedicated entirely to the theme you'll find woven throughout the whole of Naked, vulnerability. So what exactly is vulnerability? It's a word we're hearing a lot these days. Along with anxiety, vulnerability is a common feature of the millennial lexicon. But there's a slight difference between how vulnerability is traditionally defined or perceived as something negative to be avoided and how I choose to view it as something positive to be embraced. Defined in the dictionary as the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally, it's understandable that few of us would really relish that feeling, let alone want to own it. Nobody wants to be vulnerable in any aspect of their life, but the reality is that not a single person walking on earth has managed to escape it. We're born vulnerable and we'll die vulnerable. Whether it's emotional, such as having feelings for someone and hoping that they will be reciprocated, or physical, death will obviously catch up with all of us eventually, sorry to be so morbid, it's a sure thing, a central tenet of the human experience. And if there's anyone you look at and think, wow, they're just not vulnerable at all, in any way they're made of steel, you're wrong. Either they are feeling it, but doing their best to hide it, or they've got a head start on this chapter and they've learned to be comfortable with their vulnerability. It's one or the other of that you can be certain. 
Vulnerability can be experienced in every conceivable aspect of life. You can feel it any time you're not sure of what you're doing or any time you're not firing on all cylinders. You can feel vulnerable when you're, not, when you're under the weather or in a relationship when you share something personal about yourself and worry about how the other person will react. You can feel vulnerable at work when you're asked to give a presentation and all eyes are on you. You can feel vulnerable when you take your new baby home from hospital and don't have the first clue how to look after it. And that's certainly something I've felt in the last few months. Though we might not recognise it as such, the vulnerability we feel here does stem from a fear of being attacked or judged. And given that our brain's primary concern has and always will be our safety and survival, it makes sense that we want to avoid anything that puts us in a vulnerable position. I've just realised there's a typo in my book, which I'm going to get fixed because, oh my God, how many of them have we printed? Anyway, again, vulnerability today is a lot easier to handle than it was when our brains were developing. If we were sick back then, or if we were asleep when a predator was around, or we were rejected by our tribe as a result of misbehaving, it would be likely that death was on the cards. Today, our survival is probably not in question when we go to give a presentation at work or when we open ourselves up to a new romance after having been hurt before, but we still hold the same aversion towards anything that feels as though we're in any harm's way. It might not be physical harm, but it can certainly feel as though we're at risk of emotional harm. I don't need scientific research to convince you of the presence of vulnerability. We can all recall a time when we felt vulnerable in some way. For me, it's something I feel every day. Yet for too long we've been trying to exist as though we're not vulnerable, which as a result, certainly in my own experience, creates huge amounts of tension within us, leading to pressure, stress, anxiety, issues at work and in personal relationships and much more. We dodge vulnerability like the plague in much the same way we dodge failure. And I have another chapter on failure. And even though our vulnerability is inherent, we try to go about our days, we try to present ourselves to the world as though we're not vulnerable at all. Without being fully aware of it, we're constantly resisting how things are, and while that's something we might be good at for for a while, eventually the cracks will start to appear. For me, the crack was crippling anxiety, as you all know listening. I wasn't feeling well, I was in a new job, and on the inside I felt strongly that I could handle it, while on the outside... Sorry, on the inside, I felt strongly that I couldn't handle it, while on the outside, I tried desperately to portray that I could. My unwillingness to admit my vulnerability led to a very unavoidable vulnerability manifesting itself in my everyday experience, panic attacks. Unfortunately, though, we've been culturally conditioned and biologically, thanks to our need to survive, to never show it. In a more modern scenario, consider the phrase that I heard a lot growing up, never air your dirty laundry in public. This was a widely accepted rule, certainly from my parents' generation and their parents before them. Don't ever show a vulnerability in your marriage to the outside world, for example. Definitely keep quiet about a mental health issue in your family. In fact, somewhere down the not-so-distant line of a friend's family tree, there was a male relative who struggled with his mental health and, as was the remedy for the time, he was sent to an asylum. Rather than ever have anybody find out about his family's shame, this family, and I say shame in, in quotation marks, they decided instead to tell everyone that he had died. Imagine. It was easier and more comfortable to fake a death than to reveal a vulnerability in the family. Thankfully, we've come a long way since then, but this reticence still exists. I remember when I first took to social media to open up about my anxiety. Texts flooded in from friends. Are you sure you want to put that out there? This was in the very early days of mental health awareness on social media and was something of of a foreign concept in a world that only showed the best bits. Something you'll still hear today when training for a public speaking engagement, for example, is don't let them see your fear. Fearlessness is still the be-all and end-all. In many a workplace, the anti-vulnerability messaging has been along the lines of fake it till you make it and so on. I remember trying to force Kelly Catron's book, If You Have to Cry, Go Outside, into my consciousness as I felt this idea of toughening up was key to success. You might remember Kelly Catron from The Hills. 
I tried and tried, but it just did not work for me. It required a resistance to my nature that felt counterproductive and really anxiety inducing. I really believed at the time that stealing myself was necessary to not just survive in the workplace, but to move forward. I looked at those who were at the top of their game, such as Miss Catrone, and they seemed to possess pit bull levels of ferocity while saying, well, you'd have to be like that to get to that level, wouldn't you? There was no room for vulnerability in the professional sphere. They were never to overlap. With this understanding, I assumed that I wasn't going to get very far if I didn't seem like I could handle all of the things or if I had any weaknesses. I was too much, much too soft. Showing my own Achilles heels, of which there were many, would, I thought, only reflect badly on me and would only have a negative effect on my career. But I was wrong. Eventually, I realised another truth. A willingness to be vulnerable makes you invulnerable. What? Okay, hear me out. I really believe that by allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in our day-to-day lives, in our relationships and even our professional endeavours, we actually wind up achieving the strength and resilience we assumed that our vulnerability would take from us. By owning our vulnerability, we succeed in dismantling and subverting its original meaning. In doing this, we are no longer open to attack. We become invulnerable. For this truth, I'm going, to so, I'm going so far as to introduce you to what I found to be quite the game changer. I call it the vulnerability paradox, and it is as follows. One well-known example is the character of Fat Amy, played by Rebel Wilson in the Pitch Perfect movies. Though she's very happy and confident in herself, she knows the world will perceive her weight as a vulnerability. It's something that not-so-nice people would use against her. And so rather than wait for the inevitable meanness she suspects will come her way, she takes her vulnerability and she makes it hers. She owns it. She introduces herself as Fat Amy before anybody else has a chance to comment on or point out her weight. Not in a poor me kind of way, but in a look, this is who I am and I'm good with that way. She reframes her vulnerability as armour and it works wonderfully. She projects her vulnerability back out to the world as a strength and as a result she becomes invulnerable. Nobody can touch her. If you've read my previous books or followed my rambling mile a minute stories on Instagram, you will know that I'm all for owning your vulnerability. I bang on about its importance daily, so much so my friends think that I might be sponsored by vulnerability. Inspired first and foremost by Brené Brown, if you aren't familiar with her work, I'm going to stop you right there and encourage you to dive into her TED Talks, her books, Netflix show, articles, the list goes on and then come back to me. My life changed for the better, hugely, when I turned my attention to vulnerability. When I stopped denying my vulnerability and was willing to accept it as not just a part of my life to put up with, but something to actually embrace, I started to feel more resilient than I ever had before. It has been the single most important step in getting on top of the anxiety that plagued me for so long. It took a long time before I saw vulnerability as something acceptable, however, and even longer before I saw it as something to embrace and to celebrate. For me, though, accepting it wasn't so much a choice I made one day as something I did out of desperation. It was my last-ditch attempt at a coping mechanism that, as it turned out, would have saved me from a lot of suffering in the first place if I had only tapped into it sooner. I remember trying to articulate how anxious I was to a former boss. The anxiety wasn't brought about by this specific job, but I was struggling to hide it, and somewhere deep down I figured it might be easier to just address it. And I was riddled with worry that she would perceive me as not up to the task or to be unreliable. It was actually during my interview for the role that I brought it up, which would have been considered the ultimate interview faux pas at the time. Interviews are a time to show only your best bits and to give the best impression. Kelly Catron would probably have slammed the door in my face and told me to come back when I was made of stronger stuff. This was the first job I'd gone for after having been out of work for several months in order to get better. I was not comfortable sharing my vulnerability whatsoever, but as I said, I felt I had no choice. I felt that on some level it would somehow protect me against disappointing them. I felt it was only fair to let this new company know what a bag of anxious yet still capable bones they were about to employ. 
I figured that if I pretended as though I was totally fine, I would go home and instantly have a panic attack, worrying that sooner or later my anxiety would show and I'd let myself and everyone else down. However, in showing my vulnerability, she showed me hers. In the interview, she simply said she could totally empathise and that she was really sorry to hear that I'd had a hard time. She knew well what anxiety felt like and reassured me that I was not alone in it. We're all in it together, she said, and we have to make work a place that helps our anxiety rather than adds to it. What she said was enough of a hint at her, at her humanness. Her story soon followed, though, and over coffee, I learned that she too found it all a bit tough sometimes. This was a new role for her too, and she was feeling a little out of her depth. Learning this didn't make me think any less of her, it made me respect her more. Her willingness to accept and normalise my vulnerability meant everything to me. I wasn't weak, I wasn't a bad hire, I was human, and so was she. We gave ourselves permission to be authentic, and I soon realised that I wasn't the only person who was vulnerable. We all are, yet we're all trying to pretend as though we're not. My sharing of my vulnerability didn't have any negative impact on my job or how I, was, how I was perceived, though I do acknowledge that I was very lucky. This company may have had a more open and progressive attitude towards mental health issues, whereas I have spoken with friends who tell a very different tale. For me, it only had a it only had a positive impact, so much so I wondered why every one of us, whether we're the CEO or the newbie, couldn't just allow ourselves to be vulnerable and real more often. Wouldn't we get so much more done? Wouldn't the quality of our work improve? In my willingness to be vulnerable, I enjoyed a better connection with my boss and wanted to work harder for her, which could only have been a positive for the company. I produced better work because I felt more comfortable and the weight of trying to pretend that I'm permanently unflappable was lifted. By addressing it, I could then park it and continue to do my job knowing that if it was knowing that it was okay if I was not okay sometimes. It wasn't a secret I had to bury. Because of this, I started feeling more resilient and far less anxious day to day. I realised that just because I am a sensitive person does not mean I'm any less capable of doing my job, and neither is she. I can still achieve great things in spite of my vulnerability. Eventually, I would be able to say that I could achieve great things because of my vulnerability. If you look to a traditional high-pressure corporate environment, for example, where vulnerability would have been, and in some cases it still might be, discouraged, I struggle to identify any positive long-term outcomes on you as an individual or for the company, being honest, as a result of this way of living or working. Sure, there might be some short-term benefits. You give a great first impression, you get the job, you seem to have it all figured out, you get through the day, you get the work done, you land a big client or whatever the equivalent might be in your field. You avoid a potentially awkward conversation of articulating how you really feel and having people realise there is actual blood coursing through your body. People think you're great at what you do and that nothing phases you. But then you go home and you realise you're not okay. You found that day tough. Things do phase you. You are trying to keep it together. If this isn't familiar to you, just watch The Devil Wears Prada and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Apparently the film is not at all far from the reality on which it's based. I've also spoken with friends who have very senior roles in corporate companies. One particular friend was the head honcho at a global digital media company and though I knew her as a friend and not a boss, she found out that some of the junior staff members saw her as incredibly intimidating. Needless to say, this had a negative effect on her. She realised they didn't see her as a person, and that was not obviously good. To them, she was an untouchable boss. She never showed her vulnerability at work, for all the reasons we've been led to believe it's a bad idea, and it actually resulted in a disconnect between her and her team. They didn't feel they could approach her. They didn't believe she would relate to them, yet there she was telling me about her own struggles, her imposter syndrome, her worrying about what the junior members thought of her. As I listened, I thought, when there's no room for vulnerability, nobody wins. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I acknowledge that it's easier for me to be vulnerable in my day-to-day life when I'm writing about these very topics, I'm talking about these topics, and I've had people ask me, for example, how someone might own their anxiety or reveal their vulnerability when they're a solicitor in the courtroom or some other profession where you're expected to maintain a constant state of being unflappable. It was a good point and it got me thinking. How can we allow for vulnerability at work without compromising our professionalism? The answer, I believe, lies in our perception of it. We're thinking of it as weakness and that it makes us unreliable. We're visualising the solicitor in this scenario as someone about to burst into tears while trying to negotiate the very serious terms of a couple separation, for example. We're imagining the couple having a meeting with him while he butts in to tell them about the dramatics of his own divorce. We're assuming being vulnerable means we have to tell the whole world about how we're feeling, and we also assume that to show vulnerability means to show sadness or fear or worry. I've heard people say something along the lines of, so what now? Are we all supposed to wear our hearts on our sleeves and tell everyone when we're upset? Are we to go into work and cry and say we're scared and clueless? Well, no, not exactly. This is not what vulnerability is about. And it's these ideas that encourage the cynicism, the eye rolling and the widespread snowflake rhetoric whenever vulnerability is mentioned. For me, contrary to the age-old definition, I see vulnerability quite simply as authenticity and enabling your humanness to be present. In that scenario, the solicitor who is going through something similar to the couple might say to them that he empathises, he knows it's hard. He might tell them he's been through a separation himself without having to share the gory details, thus enabling a more authentic and meaningful connection with his clients. In relating to him better, his clients will trust him more too. They will see him as a human and not just as a solicitor, but they will also know he can draw from his own experience and still fulfil his role to the best of his ability. He has normalised his vulnerability and will feel stronger for it. If we go back to my head honcho friend, she doesn't need to take she doesn't need to talk herself down or dredge up insecurities at a staff meeting just to make the junior staff feel better. When you're a boss, you have to be encouraging and reliable, but you can still be authentic. For example, in a staff meeting, she could bridge the gap between ultra professional and more relatable by saying, Do you know what? I'm not well versed on this topic, so can somebody else bring me up to speed? Offering that opportunity to the more junior members, rather than pretending she knows everything and then scrambling in the privacy of her office to fill herself in. She could even instigate one-on-one catch-ups with each member of her team and in that more private environment she could reveal that when she was at their level she was worried about X, Y or Z or mention to them that it may seem that when you get to her level you'll have it all figured out but you're always learning and this is why she has surrounded herself with this particular team etc etc. These are all obviously hypothetical examples but you get what I'm saying. You don't need to throw yourself on the office floor in a tantrum because you're upset about something. That would be inappropriate and unprofessional. 
But looking for natural moments of authenticity might seem like no big deal, but it will have a hugely positive impact on your experience at work. Another irony of vulnerability I have found is that when you're willing to show it, vulnerability can serve as a clear sign of confidence. For example, I know that I'm very often flying by the seat of my pants or that I have no clue as a freelancer how I'll pay my bills from one month to the next. Saying this doesn't make me any less successful. I'm confident that I cannot work myself into the ground without suffering the repercussions. But I'm also confident of being hired by a company to talk to their staff about managing anxiety and telling the organisers and the staff that I still deal with it all the time. I'm not speaking from a position of authority where I've solved the Rubik's Cube. I would never put that pressure on myself. I'm confident to say when things are too much for me, work-wise or any otherwise. Saying this doesn't make me any less capable. I'm confident that there are people far more knowledgeable on lots of things than me. Better writers, better editors, better speakers. I was happy to tell the world about my efforts to launch my books in America, despite the enormous unlikelihood of success given the size of the country, and how hard it is to make an impact there. I was confident in trying, even if it didn't work out. I didn't keep it all on the down low for fear that if it all went awry that I would appear unsuccessful or as though I had failed. All of these are vulnerabilities but owning them is confidence. Let me give you a real life example of the vulnerability paradox and the confidence that comes from it. I recently interviewed Samantha Barry, editor-in-chief of the US edition of Glamour magazine for an Irish magazine here. She was only a few months into her new role and straight off the bat she had no qualms in admitting that she felt intensely vulnerable upon accepting this new role. I was already impressed by her achievements but this authenticity took her to a whole new level for me. Coming from a social media and digital background at CNN into a predominantly print environment and one that was hugely focused on fashion, there were plenty of gaps in her knowledge, and that was her wording, that needless to say others in the industry who perhaps might have been vying for the same role were only dying to point out. But rather than cover over these gaps and pretend they didn't exist, she owned her vulnerability from the get-go, allowing those who knew more in certain areas to show the way. And that's one of the telltale signs of good leadership. This had a number of positive outcomes. If she was willing to say she didn't know it all from day one, nobody could say it back to her or judge her for it, removing the possibility of tack. Invulnerable. It means that she could hone in on what she could and would bring to the table, her strengths and areas where glamour needed more bite, showing true confidence. Though she didn't tell me this, I imagine it took the pressure from her, enabling her to be someone who was still a work in progress, allowing for self-acceptance and self-compassion, something that of course we all are. It meant her new team at Glamour saw her as a human being rather than a robot or someone unrelatable or intimidating, and this enabled better connection with her team. This meant that they too would feel less pressure to have everything figured out all of the time, and as a result, they would work in a more collaborative and creative manner, a positive domino effect on others, leaning into each other's strengths and not being afraid to ask for help when it's needed. Asking for help was not identifying a weakness, instead the willingness to ask was highlighting a strength. For Samantha Barry, owning her vulnerability turned out to be among her greatest strengths. The more I look at vulnerability, the more I realise that a fear of it is what drives a lot of our anxieties. For example, in relationships, a fear of revealing our true selves keeps us from getting close to the person we want to let in. A fear of what people think of us adds a huge amount of weight to any general anxiety we're experiencing. And if we take something like imposter syndrome, which so many of us fall victim to, I would say that a fear of vulnerability is why you feel like an imposter in the first place. If this fear of vulnerability lies at the root of so many of our personal issues, then it makes sense to me that a willingness to be vulnerable is the antidote. Take imposter syndrome, for example. The uneasy feeling that when you put your... Take imposter syndrome, for example. The uneasy feeling that what you put out to the world is hugely at odds with how you view yourself privately. To stop feeling like an imposter, you introduce who you really are to the world, including your vulnerability, and instantly your imposter syndrome and your imposter identity evaporates and what's left is authenticity. 
You bridge the gap between your private self and your public self, and so imposter anxiety is no longer an issue. We've long been terrified of vulnerability, but if you can stop and take a moment to get acquainted with it, you'll soon realise it holds the key to not just relieving you of these common anxieties, but bringing you to a place of ease. Another important note of vulnerability, it's not just about owning our anxieties or insecurities or the things that we perceive to be weaknesses, it's also about owning our confidence. For me, showing my confidence, speaking up, being proud of myself, patting myself on the back, celebrating my achievements big and small, can also require a willingness to be vulnerable. Why? Because unfortunately, at least in Ireland where I live and work, showing confidence can leave you open to judgment, which you might describe as a form of attack if you go back to the original dictionary definition of vulnerability. Why the judgment? Because for too long, confidence has been perceived as arrogance. The who does she think she is response, of which I myself have been guilty, springs to mind. Confidence isn't always warmly received, especially when it comes to women. Self-deprecation and humility is preferred and celebrated, and as such, it's easier to hide your confidence and dumb down your successes and accomplishments in order to be accepted and avoid the backlash. In some ways, it might be even easier to reveal the bad stuff because, as a society, we're more comfortable with that. It makes us feel more accepting of our own insecurities. Someone's confidence, though it should inspire, threatens the insecure status quo. Think about it. We love it when a celebrity tells us about a time they felt as though they weren't up to the job. But when they say, I knew I was the right person for this role and never for a moment doubted myself, we tend to think, well, they certainly think a lot of themselves. As if it's a bad thing. To put the good stuff out there is therefore an act of owning our vulnerability too. But remember, it's not about saying you're confident when you don't feel it. And it's not about wallowing in the more insecure parts of your experience. It's about being authentic and real. I'm on good terms with vulnerability these days, but for a long time, things were a bit icy between us. I've resisted it my whole life. I didn't want to know about it. I always tried to be someone I'm not in order to fit in. The person who wanted to go to festivals on slam shots and sleep in a soggy tent, which is my idea of hell. The person who could travel to some far-flung corner of the world at a moment's notice with no real concern for things like traveller's diarrhea, again, my idea of hell, and a concern that is always top of my list. I tried not to be anxious, but I was. I tried not to have tummy issues, but I did. I tried to fit in with peers who were maturing faster than I was ready for, but I didn't. And when eventually my anxiety got the better of me, I was petrified. Not just because of the anxiety itself, but what it might say about me, or how others might perceive me. I was afraid that I would seem weak, unemployable, undateable, incapable. For so long I pushed against it, hoping desperately that if I could just pretend that I was fine, then I would be. The fear of vulnerability and the resistance to my anxiety and my reality at the time bubbled over, spilling like green acid from a witch's cauldron, souring everything in its path. But when I started to own it, first with myself and then with the rest of the world, which was my coping mechanism, I disarmed the vulnerability, I lessened the anxiety, I empowered myself, I increased my confidence, I made myself feel, as per the paradox, invulnerable. And I did that by choosing authenticity above all else. Before you go applying vulnerability to your daily life, you have to start working on your perception of it. You have to accept that we've all been conditioned to abandon our vulnerability as a coping mechanism in adulthood, but know that it's something you can change. It will require a shift in perspective, something that won't always be possible without the carving out of new neural pathways, which we know from chapter two won't happen overnight. So we've got to be patient and start practicing vulnerability in small, doable steps. Expressing vulnerability at work might be two steps too soon, but a great and necessary place to start with vulnerability is in a relationship, especially if you've been hiding from it in recent years. The success of a romantic relationship will depend on the willingness of both parties to be vulnerable. Without it, you won't build intimacy. Without it, you won't build trust and you won't have the confidence to know that they love you for all that you are, not just the bits that you've advertised on your Tinder profile. A relationship without vulnerability cannot expect longevity. If you're not in a romantic relationship, you can still do this with a friend. 
It might be less intense with a friendship, but vulnerability shared between two friends will reap the same rewards of closeness, trust and empathy. Not only will your relationships benefit, but you as individuals will benefit from feeling accepted, supported and worthy of love or friendship. So why do I encourage you to own your vulnerability in all aspects of your life and not just your relationships? Because this will merge you with your most authentic self. And when you do that, very little can really damage you. It's a very powerful place to be. In my professional life, it took the pressure off me hugely. I say things such as, here's what I know I can do and here's what I know I can't do or don't have much experience in. Or, you know, I've done enough of this now to know that this is a major strength of mine. I really think that I'm right for this. It opens you up to greater opportunities and makes you far more resilient to the missed opportunities too. Vulnerability might sometimes feel like weakness, it might feel like a risk, and showing it might feel like you're doing yourself a disservice, but owning it is anything but. It's the freedom to be who you are, how you are, as you are, when you are, without resisting or denying it to yourself, whether it's good or bad, positive or negative, whether you're proud of yourself and confident or unsure of yourself and out of your depth, and whether or not you want to vocalise it to others is your choice. The most important thing is owning it for yourself, at the very least, because when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, you become invulnerable. So that's just a taster of my new book, Naked, 10 Truths to Change Your Life. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it helpful. The book is available online in, you know, with all good retailers, Amazon, wherever you want to buy it. If you're in Ireland, you can get it on Eason's or Dubray. Um, so thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you are intrigued to read more about the book. And thank you for supporting. Um, and I'll chat to you on the next episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The easiest way to access owning it real time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top you can sign up right away for owning it real time and access a full library of 10 situation specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.